Bonjour. Welcome to the Dexabit Data Diaries. This is your captain speaking. You're listening to the Data Diaries. Data Diaries. So he's got the best voice? Nice. Yes. <laughs> Hello and welcome. My name is Angie Judge from Dexabit and welcome to the Data Diaries. I'm here today with David Hingley. David, good morning. Morning. Good to be with you. Great to be with you. Now, David has spent the last 12 years leading visitor services and operational excellence in the UK's leading cultural institutions, and now he's sharing his passion with others up and coming in the industry. From a career in FMCG retailing, David has worked at the historic Royal Palaces and then the Landmark Trust before going on to head visitor experience at Tate across both Tate Britain and Tate Modern since 2019, and he's also a trustee for Painsill Park and is currently running a series of 10k runs to raise funds for mental health too. I understand looking for a bit of sponsorship there, David. Yeah, always looking for sponsorship. I've done 10 runs so far this year and I've got two more to go. I would gladly be on the the paying side rather than the the running side. It's definitely not my cup of tea. I'm definitely banking on that with a lot of my supporters. Now, David is going to share with us today one of his great passions and how he's sharing his work in the industry, helping visitor services and frontline teams of the UK's cultural institutions to what he calls cross the floor and to swap and share in their experiences and gain new ones. So, David, I'm looking forward to hearing all about this. Perhaps you could start us off with a quick overview on what Crossing the Floors is all about. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a bit of a soapbox of mine. So people that know me and have worked with me know that I've been sort of banging on about this in different forms for for quite a while. But essentially, it's a really simple idea. It's the idea that a lot of the uh, teams that work really broadly in front of house, so visitor experience, my teams, but also areas like ticketing, security, etc. They don't get the same opportunities that other areas other areas of the um, organization do to just nip out maybe and grab a coffee with a colleague in another institution Mm -hmm. or spend time in another museum or a cultural site as part of their work because their work is very much normally around being rotated in certain places in certain times so that the site can operate. So talking to the team, one of the things that they wanted to do was have wider experiences and we were thinking about how we could do this. And just one simple way that we came up with was to be able to go and spend some time with a similar or or even slightly different institution that was kind of relatively close by because we're always thinking about kind of the cost for the team member, for example, to to do a different commute. Um, But, you know, go and spend a day shadowing a shift, buddying up with a colleague and just see what it's like. So, for example, Tate Modern sits um, facing St Paul's Cathedral and they're both big tourist sites, but they're very different, obviously, in terms of what they offer. So what Crossing the Floors does is it gives people an opportunity to think, especially those people who are just starting off their career and maybe working for Tate as their first job. They may well love it, but they may also be trying to work out what they want to do longer term as a career. It gives them a chance just to go and, and spend a day and just get a taste of what that might be like, whether that's for them, whether it's not, but also a chance also to see how things are done differently in different places, because I think you can become very kind of focused on your own institution. So nice to kind of take a step back, see something different. And how do you get around this kind of constraint that you mentioned there of as a frontline person, these people would need to be on site for it to operate? Is this something that they're doing on work time? Is it out of work time? How do they manage that 
you know, that need to be present at their own institution. Yeah. So we've worked really closely uh, with partner organisations to sort of see how we could make this work. And everybody's going to do it in the same way because we thought that was really important. And it will be done on work time. Again, I think the culture sector can depend a lot on people getting experience through volunteering. And we thought it was important to to be able to give people the chance to to do something at their regular rate of pay. So they will work with a buddy. So it does mean that each each site's got to free just one person up for a day. But we think it's kind of easier to free. We can we can run this scheme. We can have people who are interested put their names forward. We've been very clear that we kind of have to plan ahead to make sure our rotors work, etc. But then we can drop people in over a number of months into their kind of chosen site on days when we are better staffed and we know we can afford to do that. And the place where they're going, whoever's hosting them, knows that, you know, all right, they're getting somebody who we're not going to leave them on their own. But we do know that these people have transferable skills. They're going to be great at uh, talking to visitors, at customer service. So they'll bring that along with them. So in a sense, you probably get kind of the equivalent of an extra half person there on your site for the day mm. um, without leaving them, you know, unsupported because it's really important that they're, they're with somebody and they're looked after and mm. that's part of it. So, but by spreading it across, we've got six different organisations at the moment who are working on this and, and we've already got people that want to join us and expand. It's easier to spread the load between us. Whereas if we're trying to do training kind of for our own, just our own teams, it's really difficult to get more than a few people off the floor sometimes. Yeah, there is sort of a critical mass that you need to reach in order to do training across frontline teams, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the things we do, we're looking at as well is sharing the kind of training courses that we run because we recognise there'll be mm. a lot of similarities. And I may only be able to get a couple of people off the floor, which would mean running a, running a course for my team wouldn't be cost effective. But if there are other teams that want to run a similar course and they can all get a couple of people off their floor together between us, then we can run the course. And I have to ask, in today's tight labour market where it is quite difficult to attract staff, and I know so many cultural institutions are feeling that pinch at the moment and are short-staffed, does that become a little bit of a risk in terms of letting staff walk out the door and, and across the way to someone who I imagine isn't quite a competitor but equally an, another workplace that might entice others away? Do you know what? I think it's I think it's always a risk, um, but I think it's that classic. There's absolutely a risk that if you don't do something to look after and develop your team, you're going to end up with individuals who are frustrated, who want to get on but aren't seeing the opportunities, and who are probably going to look elsewhere anyway. So, mm. and I think there's so I think there's two bits to it. It is a tight labour market. We're all pulling on effectively very similar pools, but we're talking about how we want to change that pool of people in the future and attract more diverse individuals, for example, in, in the uh, culture sector. And I think each institution is not going to be able to do that on their own. So by pulling together, you know, maybe I'm a firm believer sometimes in getting the right person in the right place. So there could be somebody who's a little bit demotivated, maybe isn't sure that my, my place of work is a place for them, but they go and experience somewhere else. They really find that that is where they want to be. And then I think you've got to take a broader view that that is good for the sector. And, you know, I also uh, am a believer that our organisations are, although we would quite often say they're large, they're not large in the scheme of the world. I've worked for, for kind of major blue chip companies where we had tens of thousands of employees and there's lots more opportunities to develop. So I think what we can do by um, giving people the opportunity to see what else is out there is they have an opportunity to develop. There's not necessarily always somewhere for them to go where they're currently employed. 
but it may be they go away and come back when they've got some experience in a different role. So I think, yeah, I'm a firm believer in giving people that opportunity, really. Very well put. And I know I, I love seeing your um, passion and hearing your passion that speaks to the way in which a visitor services or visitor experience career is a profession mm. in its own right. I'm curious at what moment in your own career sort of sparked this inspiration behind starting off this effort uh, around crossing the floors. Yeah, I think I've always been interested in that kind of, I think if you work with lots of people, you know, you, you always get interested in what makes people tick, be that the, the visitors and customers or, or be that your own team and how that, that interaction between individuals is the point where, let's be honest, whatever your product, whatever area you work in, that's kind of the moment when it happens. And that's very, I think that's very personal. So I think it's really important that whatever else goes into an experience or a product, it is that kind of interaction moment where it actually happens that for me is is the most important part and so well I think I came to the conclusion that whatever else people did in the background when I worked in department stores or now I work in uh, in more creative and cultural industries is that personal interaction can totally ruin everything else on the downside or it can totally make up for something that's not quite working in the way that you'd hoped so I think that is a real it's often overlooked and Partly that's because it does just happen because, you know, we are just, we are just at the end of the day, we are just humans and we, we, we try and get on with each other most of the time and we try and make things sort of work as well as they possibly can. And I think on the one hand, that's quite a simple thing because we do it all the time in everyday life. So we all think we can do it. But delivering that day in, day out for um, the diverse, very different audiences that may be coming into the same place, that is a real skill. And I think you learn that over time. So. I think for me, probably there was a point at which actually when I was working in department stores, when I decided that I actually really liked that part of the of the whole journey, if you like. And I have done roles where I've been further away from that kind of interaction. And I've just found I don't get the same buzz out of it and I don't enjoy it as much. And I think it also the teams that work in that, you know, in that expert field of operations, visitor experience more broadly I think they're people who gives them a buzz is usually seeing somebody go away who's had their experience turned around if they were maybe having you know not having a great time or who've had their experience really moved on to the next level people write in I always kind of joke a bit but people write in and this is the same wherever I've worked and they don't say the art was amazing at Tate Modern I mean they do but they kind of expect that because it's Tate or when they go to a royal palace, they expect the royal palace to look amazing, to be stunning, to be full of history. That's kind of a given, which is slightly unfair, but that's that's the deal. But what they write in about is the member of staff they met that told them the little secret or the thing that they couldn't read in the guidebook. Or they're writing about the sandwiches in the toilets. But um, I think it's really important <laughs> that, you know, you, you leave a real impression on people. And I think that can get so overlooked because it's really hard to quantify actually you can do mystery visit scores and you can you know there's all kinds of things you can do but it's quite hard to tap into just what it is people do because it if you're doing it right as well it seems effortless and I think that's really hard it's almost the better a team is at it the less it gets noticed that's so true we always react to try and and again team people that work in these teams I think are naturally predisposed to kind of look at what went wrong and try and fix it for next time 
And David, I wonder if there's a moment that you've learned through crossing the floors or seen somebody else learn that sort of light bulb moment of um, those secret ingredients that go into that secret sauce that delivers really special visitor experience. It's really interesting. I think I've seen it where we've taken, even just taken people in on um, work experience at different levels. And they've, quite often people are really nervous about going, first time you go and work, usually you end up wearing a uniform if you're in a visitor, big visitor experience team. And as soon as you put that uniform on or that name badge mm. or whatever you do, pressure's yeah, on. pressure's on. Everybody assumes you know everything. And I think what I've seen quite a few times is where you say, well, we've butted you up with this person today. And it's usually somebody who's, you know, knows the institution, clearly someone who's really enthusiastic about it. What we found is if you say to them, while you're with that person, just kind of ask them about what their personal favorites are, you know, what little stories they've got. I have seen quite a few people kind of really blossom on the fact that what they've realized is you don't need to be an expert on everything. You can't. But if there's a few bits that you really know and you really love uh, and you really learn to kind of tell that story or share that in the way that you want to, that can really make a difference. And I've seen people who, I can think of people who've become quite quiet, although, you know, great at uh, meeting and greeting, but, you know, quite quiet as an individual, you wouldn't say they were outgoing, but they they pick up these bits from people that they're budding with. And you can see, they think, I could do this because there's something in this space where I'm working that I'm massively passionate about. And I know I'm not going to have a problem talking to somebody about it for five, 10 minutes if that's that's what I need to do. And then that's the way in, really. So I think that's what you what you see people kind of take away from it. It's a great leadership lesson, isn't it, to connect with your why and find your personal passion in there that helps you love your work. Yeah, I think I think that's it. And I think in um, one thing that I've reflected on is and that probably has made me even more passionate about the idea that this is a real career for people is that you come across people who who are so passionate about what they do, uh, what, what you need people, for example, who work at Tate, who are practicing artists as well. And this is just where everything connects for them. And that's fantastic. But it's, you know, it's also great because it's something that they want to share with people. And so outside of that passion, what are some of the big skill gaps that we as an industry need to address? One of the things is I used to kind of give regular talks to uh, museum studies groups, which I always loved doing. I'd always think that I, I think a lot of people in the audience and this is not to not to um, say that you shouldn't want to become a curator, but they've kind of the job they've heard of is being a curator <laughs> in a museum. So that's that's what they want to do. I think this happens in lots of organisations. Actually, there are certain jobs that you just think, right, that's the job I want because that's the one I've heard of. So actually, one of the gaps is in people being able to understand what the structures are that are behind working in, for example, a museum or um, heritage site uh, such as the ones I work in at the moment. You know, you can work in marketing. You can work in maintenance you can't you know there's a whole structure there and I think one of the gaps is that we just don't make people aware that we do need those skills so it's kind of a bit catch-22 I think what people naturally want to do is to specialize in an area and so actually one of the skills gaps is in I would say if you work in visitor experience because you're the end result of everything else in the organization you're the kind of point of delivery you do get to see everything so you get to work with every single team and that in itself is a skill to be able to balance that and to be able to put across your experience in dealing with customers to say, I know this looks great on paper, but in the nicest possible way, I don't think it's going to work when it comes into contact mm. with, with people. And I think another, another gap there is, is having people who 
I, I don't, don't think this needs to be a massive amount of really detailed understanding sometimes. Sometimes you've just got teams on the front line who know the visitors, who operate in those spaces every day and can be something as simple as everybody always turns left when they come through that door. There's not necessarily any deep logic as to why that is, but that's just what the humans have been doing here for ages. So don't build an exhibition where you need everyone to turn right because they're going to get confused. Mm. So picking that up, I think other gaps sometimes there's a there's less understanding of the importance of really having not just having the data because I think we're quite good at having data, but analysing it and seeing how you can get the best possible use out of it so i'm thinking about things like how many people go through an exhibition in a day and really breaking that down i think people don't tend to work on the detail of like well how many people did you get through that hour how many people did you get through the next how does it vary how can you maximize you know make sure the experience is as good as possible while still having the ticket sales that you want and i think that's an area that when i move from retail into into heritage and culture I felt that the, the sector has been behind on at times. Almost feels like it's not somewhere where people want to get too scientific about it because it might ruin the magic, but I think it's quite the reverse. It's so true. I'm so glad you brought up data and insight as part of that skill gap because I think what we see in our work is that the visitor experience and visitor services teams in a venue or a museum where data is incredibly successful they are the number one consumers of data. They look at forecasts to do their rostering. They look at visitor sentiment to see how happy their visitors are. And they look at um, exhibition performance against goals. They look at revenue, sort of average revenue per visit and how they can improve it. And to get visitor services into um, that state of play, there is quite a big leap to make from how we've operated in the past, right? Yeah, definitely. I think I've often been surprised by the uh, fact that that data doesn't actually get to the teams on the ground sometimes. It's almost like it's analysed, uh, understandably, it's analysed financially, and all that, but it's not necessarily looked at by the visitor-facing teams. And um, I think there are always going to be some members of the team, uh, and, and that's fine, that aren't into all of that detail. You don't need every single person to know the, the minutiae of it, but certainly at management level, I think it makes such a huge difference to able to stand back and and I mean we've all had it happen when we work operationally where you think at the end of the day gosh that was a busy day you know we must we must have had a really large number of people through and then you look back at the counters and you know oh it wasn't wasn't as busy as I thought it just happened to be one of those days where we dealt with a, a, a number of issues so that's really helpful I think but the reverse sometimes you think gosh is that that didn't feel like it was a busy day but actually what it means is You've had huge numbers of people through, you've hit your targets, but you've managed to do it in a really, in a really good way. And to be able to go back and look mm. at that and say, right, how do we repeat that experience? So that having mm. X thousand people through the doors over a weekend didn't feel painful. I think that's really important. Yeah. And you hit on such an important point there that often we haven't democratized that data to those frontline staff that it is sitting in the finance department or the marketing team are the ones with all the tools. And yet our visitor services teams are the ones who have the most context to add to that data of all of those things that went on on that really big weekend that made it feel heavy. And they're also the people that can provide the most actionable moments to that data as well when we see those opportunities for improvements of how do we 
repeat that beautifully scalable, seamless weekend and do more of them in the future. I do think that one of the things that came out of the pandemic, and I think it's still really important, is when we had to be really careful in terms of how many people were in a building, how we operated the space, um, and, we, and, yeah. we, and we had to keep, you know, there, I mean, there were legal reasons as well why we needed to do that. It really focused the mind. And what we were able to do, and what we really do, is we were getting really live information from surveys that say how safe did visitors feel because that was the number one thing above everything else how safe did people feel so that they would continue to visit and come back and because we were getting that almost as a live feed sort of at least kind of once a week download we could make changes and we could see how those changes were affecting the experience in an exhibition for example and we could do that kind of week on week and I don't think you could do it any more I mean you could possibly do it more than that but sort of week on week was, was really manageable actually I think one of the things that that's taken away, another one of these areas where I think it's really important to to work as consistently across organisations is because you know visitors were going to your competitors. You want to call them competitors, or you know, or, or going <laughs> to you know, I think people will always go to the National Gallery and Tate because we've got different different art, different exhibitions. But you know, people having both those experiences. So to be able to make sure that to a degree it's aligned in terms of you know people won't go to the National Gallery and think, gosh, it's brilliant, and they do that that and that there and yet take do none of it i mean if stuff's working for visitors you kind of want to grow the whole experience rather than just focus on on an individual area or an individual site because it just doesn't work because they always come back to you and say what they saw elsewhere that they loved and speaking of these pandemic trends we're sort of in this very weird time of um, hyperinflation and these tight labor markets that we were talking about before are we in a spot right now where the industry is understaffed on the front line I think it's a challenge. I've heard different things. We're fortunate that I mean, we've recently been recruiting and we've had a really good response. I'd like to think some of that's because um, people can see what it is we're offering and that it's we are absolutely saying there are opportunities to work as an apprentice, for example, and, and kind of move through through the visitor experience, a kind of career ladder, if you like. But also we're being quite open and saying kind of if you're, if you're looking for a role, come to Tate, work with us in visitor experience and kind of we'll hopefully help you to think beyond Tate if that's where you need to go. So I hope that's insulating us, if you like, a little bit from that. But it's definitely um, it's definitely tight and there are, there are other opportunities. So I, th- I think it's going to be increasingly, and I know this has been a trend over quite a period, but I think it's kind of accelerated of what's, you know, that's why it's important that this is a career. It's not a, we live in a gig economy world. And you can choose to um, work on a con- work on contracts where you might come and support different organisations for different events, etc. And that really suits some people. But I think it's being able to say, and there's another op- there's another option, uh, and the other option is kind of building building a career in the sector, um, and being able to you can't always necessarily compete on the uh, salary you can you can offer because some of these gig gig economy uh, roles, you know, somebody's desperate to. Uh, because they've got an event to run so they can offer a really good a really good hourly rate and it's up to people whether they want to take that understandably they may need to mm. but I think to be able to say look there's different ways of doing this and just kind of be really honest about what it is you can offer I think that is hopefully helping us to to insulate a little bit against that but it, it's definitely a tough market at the moment. What are you looking for in the staff that you're hiring that are new to this role? I'm looking for people who who are passionate about people, actually, first and foremost. I think it's great if they're passionate about, in Tate's case, art, but 
equally, sometimes some of the people who maybe come from a, a more from could be a retail background, etc., who are great with people. I mean, we our whole selection process has moved to looking at personal interactions, group exercises, those kind of things to see how people are at talking to and engaging with other people. Because quite often, people who don't have that arts background actually suddenly come across an artist that they've genuinely never heard of who might be at some upcoming exhibition and they become so interested and excited because it's completely new to them that they can carry that passion through as well so people who love interacting with people it's people who um i think understand the variety of of what you're going to deal with in a front of house role that you know if you're open to all you genuinely will get every type of person in you need to be able to think about what that will be like and will feel like uh, and we support people, obviously, but you know sometimes you can have difficult conversations. It's not, it's not always, um, it's not always easy doing the kind of roles that we're talking about. And then I think, really, I'm absolutely happy for people to come in and work with us and get early career um, you know, understanding of what the culture sector is, and then they may move on to work in a different area because I think it's always good that people have had front of house experience. But I'm also looking for mm. people who, who do want to build a career in front of house who do want to be the managers of the future and can see the opportunity to kind of shape what the experience is by by moving up in that way. And where can these careers take people in, in front of house for visitor experience and cultural institutions? Yeah, it's um, quite often um, I've seen people that we've placed in different roles within the same institution. I think what tends to happen is um, people who are really passionate about it and want to use this as a springboard We've had people go and join our learning team. So move from kind of visitor experience to kind of more formal learning and engagement. So that's great. Looking after family program development, that kind of thing. We've had people who've moved into curatorial roles, particularly in areas like if you think about kind of program production and delivery. So looking kind of more broadly beyond the day to day delivery. So they've already got those skills. They take them. They take that on. We've had people join other teams um, simply because they're just really good at customer interaction. So that could be uh, moving into um, we have visitor communications teams who look after a lot of the um, emails, calls, etc. So members of my teams have moved into that. And then I've had people who've kind of taken first management roles, if you like. So perhaps when I went to Historic Royal Palaces at Hampton Court, whenever anybody left, we used to try and encourage people to think of it as us gaining another museum. So we had people who'd kind of start with us, build up their experience and then go and run. I think we had somebody who went to Oxford Castle, for example, someone who went to the Ashmolean, which is a, another museum, and they were able to take what they'd learnt and then kind of take the next step up and then to bring us back to crossing the floors. Then that's increased the network and we've got somebody else that we can contact and say, can we uh, can we work together in the future? And what would your advice be if somebody wanted to attempt uh, replicating your initiative in another country or in another city? What would you suggest to them in terms of how do you go about getting something like this off the ground? So I think I absolutely mercilessly pitched to people that I thought would be would be interested who were in my personal network. There was a bit of that. I think it was very much around, and I think people were keen to do it, but I think we're all We've talked about it. It's 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 tough at the moment in the labour market, and we've got a lot on. So you can become quite focused on your own problems and your own institution. Mm-hmm. So actually, I think the group we've set up, we're also a bit of a self help group at times, where it's like we have worked out together how this is going to work. And then I think it's been important that without a huge amount of investment, etc. But you know what I've been able to say is that 
I'm one of the bigger teams involved. So we can take on kind of quite a lot of the admin, et cetera, to support other smaller organizations. And one of our organization values is to be kind. So I think in a sense, it's like, what are your organizational values? Do they align with the other organizations you're going to work with? Because then, you know, you've got probably got a very similar start point. And the other element is just sorting out the admin. Because you can imagine the admin, people are going to go and work at a different site. <laughs> What's the insurance? How are you going to cover mm-hmm. that from different different organizations can have different kind of security clearance levels. So getting all that sorted in the background has been important. I can't even <laughs> begin to imagine what that looks like. There's quite a lot of spreadsheets. You know, that's good. Once we've got it off the ground, I'm sure as well it will get, um, it will get easier. Oh, well, thank you very much for taking a few minutes out of your day and all of that paperwork to share your Crossing the Floors initiative with us. It's incredibly exciting to hear in this post-COVID world that the way in which cultural institutions came together to collaborate and to work together as an industry is continuing on in lots of different ways. Really excited about what you're doing. Yeah, I think I'm really um, looking forward to seeing how it develops and um, and kind of excited. Mm. We've got other organisations who are interested. So hopefully we can just build on that. And as you say, keep working together post-COVID. Well, thank you very much, David, and I hope you have an exciting week ahead for you. Thanks very much.